everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lessons Learned Podcast, the dumbest thing I've ever done with money. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lessons Learned, the dumbest thing I've ever done with money. My name is Suzanne, and I'm the head coach at Grace Financial Coaching, and Adam Forsberg is my guest today. Adam is a licensed insurance agent with Comparian Insurance. He helps protect people and the things they work so hard for. Uh, He shops auto, home, life, pet, small business insurance with over 15 top companies. Adam is personally committed to helping his clients find the right coverage for their situation. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Suzanne. How are you? Good, good. So let's get started with pet insurance because my goodness, I mean, from five years ago, it was almost non-existent. Uh, And now employers are offering it with their benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really kind of taken off over these last few years. It's something where there's been a need. It's something that people who care about their pets, a lot of people view pets almost as, as part of their family. Um, so it's important to have protection for them too. So we've definitely seen the industry go where more and more companies are offering that. Policies are getting more comprehensive, more options to choose from. So yeah, it's a great thing to, to protect pets. I will say that um, I've, I've mentioned them on this show a couple times, but my husband and I pretty much only adopt older, uh, messed up <laughs> Pitbull. <laughs> so, like, one of ours right now only has eight teeth and can't hear a damn thing. Um, the other one, you know, has allergies. He's allergic to life. He has, you know, has been missing half his hair his entire life. <laughs> and they never qualified uh, for plans back in the day uh, when, when you know, the one that comes to mind is Lemonade. That was the mm-hmm. one that I was like, what the heck is this? And, you know, they started pushing the commercials and stuff like that. Um, Would they qualify today or still it's kind of more of like the dogs under two years old with no pre-existing conditions? So pre-existing conditions are almost always excluded. So there may be opportunities to get coverage for anything else that isn't pre-existing. So depending on the company, more than likely there's some coverage options. It, it probably wouldn't be as comprehensive as you know, a brand new puppy that doesn't have anything, uh, anything wrong, anything like that. But with how the industry's changed and how policies are getting more comprehensive, there, there probably is something that could fit there. I'm just not quite as comprehensive as a, a dog or cat that's already in good health. Yeah, that's good to know because I remember looking at it, like I said, five or maybe seven years ago now, and they wouldn't qualify for anything. So it's mm-hmm. it's good to know that that is starting to evolve. Um, you know, insurance companies and everybody else is taking advantage of our love for our pets, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it definitely has saved. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I had a... Yeah. yeah, I had a girlfriend whose dog slipped like just tripped while walking, you know, seven year old dog, not terribly old and required spinal surgery. Mm. And the insurance came in huge. Then that was obviously something that they couldn't, you know, imagine was going to happen. So definitely something that I, uh, five or seven years ago, I probably would have been like, eh, not worth it. But now it's definitely worth looking into, uh, especially in a multiple pet household. Yeah, absolutely. And there are different levels of coverage you can choose from. Most companies, uh, it's always going to vary company to company, but usually you can choose from just like an accident only plan. There's an upgraded accident and illness plan. And then Mm. like the premier package would be what we would call like accident, illness and wellness, where it's going to be even more comprehensive. So you can really pick the level of coverage where if someone's budget's a little tight and they aren't able to splurge for the premier package, there are still some opportunities to get some of just like the accident plan, which can really come in handy. Kind of like you said, if there is an accident that requires a significant surgery and significant care. 
Oh, that's great. So much more comprehensive than it was back in the day, for sure. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, um, another thing that's expensive to insure is uh, teenage boys who start driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I feel like the two conversations I have with clients are like, do we need or can we get pet insurance? And how do I get insurance for my teenage son who has started to drive? Uh, my advice would be just don't let him drive. But, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that that's reasonable in most situations. So, um, you know, back in the day, uh, the advice that I had been given in certain situations was to keep the kid off the household policy because it could theoretically impact the house, you know, are, are, is someone going to sue the household and go after the parents and stuff like that? But that's actually not today's uh, advice, correct? Yeah, there are a lot of different things to factor in. What most companies are looking for this day, uh, in today's day and age, is to have everyone who's in the household be listed on the insurance policy. What we've seen, unfortunately, is there have been people who have not listed teenage drivers as a way to try to save insurance, which is essentially insurance fraud. And then if there's an accident, just hoping that they're going to be covered um, as like a, a permitted driver, which is never a, a risk you want to take. And it's also kind of cheating the insurance company out of the money too. So it's wrong on multiple levels, but we've seen a lot of people do that. So unfortunately the, the side of that is uh, what insurance companies are looking to do is have everyone listed on one, one policy. Now there may be some exceptions to that. Some companies can do maybe a policy just for the, the child, but then also have everyone else listed as other residents in the household. So there's mm. certainly ways that it can be adjusted, but it just needs to make sure that it's following the underwriting guidelines of the company. That way, when the claim comes up, if that ever happens, there won't be any issues as if there's going to be coverage or not. It's it's not if it's going to happen, Adam. It's when your teenage son hits someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and this is going back 20 years um, that I remember. Pr actually, probably when my brother started driving. That would be 20 years ago. Um, and the the thought process was in order to protect the parents' retirement accounts and any any potential wealth they had built up, you get a completely separate policy and no, you know, cause we, we, be, we become so litigious these days. Um, oh, but it sounds like people were just ignoring putting the kid on the policy period. And now everybody has to be listed in the household. Yeah, that's correct. But your concern about um, an accident is a valid one. And there are things that we can do from an insurance side to make sure that people's nest eggs, their retirement, their net worth is protected in the event of an accident. Really two main things. The first that I would say is make sure that the auto policy has high enough liability coverage. When I talk to people every day, I hear people say, oh, I've got full coverage in my car, so I'm just fine. And what people typically mean by that is they have liability and they have comprehensive and collision coverage, but which is great to have and it's important to have those things. But really the key thing is, is the liability coverage on the policy high enough? That way, if there is an accident, we wanna make sure that the assets of the household are protected. So first thing I would say is people need to make sure that all the time, but especially when there's a teenage driver, that the liability limits on the auto policy are high enough. And then the second layer of protection would be like a personal liability policy, which is gonna give excess liability coverage over top of the auto. And this is really inexpensive, even with the teenage driver, you're looking at, depending on the company, depending on your driving history, typically just a couple hundred bucks a year for a oh. million dollars plus of, of extra liability coverage. Interesting, how does that differ from an umbrella policy? Uh, it, they can be used interchangeably. Sometimes okay. um, excess liability would be just 
um, just liability, whereas there's some umbrella policies that would be a little more comprehensive that are going to cover things like libel and slander. Um, but the main thing is making sure that there is liability through an umbrella or an excess liability policy. They can oh, perfect. Yeah, they can be used interchangeably. There, there are some differences, but the main portion, I guess, that, that I'm getting at for, for the sake of this is just make sure that there is that level of extra liability coverage. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, 20 years ago, we were already litigious and now we are above and beyond. You know, if the kid is driving even a used Mercedes, you know, <laughs> it's a, right. some people just see dollar signs as soon as he taps their bumper. And so, you know, to me, we work so hard for everything um, that it, it the second, you know, I, I think Dave Ramsey, who, you know, we're both fans of, um, what does he recommend for umbrella? It's like you're I'm trying to even think now your net worth has to be X and then he wants you to go and get an umbrella policy. I'm tempted if your net worth is X minus Y, but you have a teenage driver in the house or even somebody under 25, right? Because those drivers under 25, you know, the mm -hmm. ones who can't rent cars, statistically, right. <laughs> they're more, more dangerous. Um, every, I really, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a year, we have an umbrella policy and I literally just paid it like a week ago and it was $380 for the entire year. Mm -hmm. And I just, yes, you know, paid it in one chunk. Yeah. Another way to look at it too is what, one of the reasons I have it for myself is if I do ever cause a major accident to someone, I want to make sure that they can be restored to what they were before. And if it ends up exhausting my underlying policy for my auto insurance, it's not fair to that person. If I was truly at fault and did cause significant damage to them, I want to make sure that, that they can be restored too. So not only can it be looked at as a way to protect assets, but it's sort of the right thing to do too, just to make sure that if there is a major accident, we can make that person whole again. No, that and that's true too. You know, I'm just using the teenage boy as the, uh, you know, stereotypical on their phone, going to cause a little bit of a, you know, fender bender, <laughs> mm -hmm. but truly, right. What if we're driving in bad weather? There could be any multitude of reasons for, for carrying that for sure. How does, um, umbrella kind of, you actually brought me back to the pet thing. Um, if someone is at your house and your dog bites them, is that something that can be covered by the personal liability or the umbrella policy? Yeah, so it's going to depend each company to company, obviously, but okay. as a general rule, that would be covered by the liability. Now, there are things to, to note where on the application, a lot of companies are going to ask if there is a dog or if there is a dog, if there's been bite history or if it's more of an aggressive breed. So the first thing is just making sure that every question on the application is answered truthfully. That way, if there are claims, again, there's never a question of if it wasn't disclosed to the company. Now, if there is liability, if, if that does happen, then... Um, yeah, liability is for things like that if that happens. And then same thing with the umbrella. If it's a really bad, bad case and it goes above the home insurance, um, we would have it coverage there with the umbrella as well. Again, each company is a little different. So I would just caution each person to make sure that when you're setting up your policy with your insurance professional, that they're asking these questions because every company can vary. But as a general rule, that's exactly why those policies are in place. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, that That was probably one of my very first clients um who their daughter was injured by a friend's animal who had zero bite history or anything like that and so when you reminded me about you know sometimes we can cause these things and it's just a pure accident no malice not playing on our phones while driving 70 miles an hour um you know that policy covered her uh, i think she actually had to have 
plastic surgery, like on the back of her leg or something like that. So that completely covered it. So that, that's what reminded me. The other thing I was reminded of was paying my umbrella insurance. I also got something else in the mail recently. Um, so we are a military family and we're stationed here in Virginia. And we got a letter. First, we got an email that was very cryptically written from her carrier. We weren't sure what was going on. And then we got this nice big packet of information uh, asking if we wanted to increase our uninsured motorist coverage uh, because our state had had something either enacted on July 1st or going into effect on January 1st of next year. And uh, we looked into it. We left our uninsured motorist coverage the same, but can you explain why we got that? Yeah, so here in Virginia, um, starting July 1st, every policy that renews from that point forward, so it's going to affect people differently depending on your renewal when, when your policy is renewing. Uh, but starting July 1st, every policy that renews, companies are giving people the option to essentially stack your uninsured motorist coverage. It's a little more complex than this, but the way that it basically works is on your policy, you have a section uh, called uninsured motorist, which if there's someone who hits you and they have the state minimum coverage or not enough insurance or any situation like that, um, your policy is actually going to step in to make sure that you can be restored back to what you were before. So it, it fills the gap where if someone hits you and they don't have the insurance the, that's needed to restore you, your policy is going to step in and do that. So what's happening now is you're actually able to use the portion of that person's policy plus yours to essentially stack them to make mm. sure that you have extra coverage if you ever were in a situation that you needed that. Whereas before it used to just be basically one or the other. So now people are able to get more coverage uh, for this, which is really a good thing if there is an accident that, that causes a lot of damage with someone who doesn't have enough insurance. But to your point, what companies are doing is by law, they're just increasing this coverage. They're letting people know that it's happening, but it, and they have the option to choose if they want to accept it or decline it. But if the companies either don't hear back or it's just been a long enough time and they haven't heard back yet, they're going to automatically give people the better coverage just to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to provide the coverage that we can. Um, it can always be declined, but that's why a lot of people are seeing rate increases. If they haven't seen that letter that you mentioned or spoken to their insurance professional, more than likely they're just opted in for the better coverage, which is going to have their rate increase. Yeah. What was interesting was, uh, because we have motorcycles, our motorcycle one went up automatically. We didn't even recall receiving a letter, but then the auto one, for whatever reason, we automat we got a letter and we were able to like click the box and, uh, mm -hmm. but we had already had a, a pretty high amount of that for sure. So the uninsured motorist, I guess maybe it's like a misnomer because it's not necessarily the person has zero insurance. It's the person has zero insurance or they don't have enough to cover the damage they caused. Right. So for example, if someone hits you and they have like state minimum coverage, let's say they only have $20,000 of property damage liability coverage, but you're driving a $50,000 car. If the car is totaled, there's essentially a gap there of $30,000 that someone's going to have to pay for. So that's where the uninsured motorist sticks in, uh, will come in, is going to go ahead and, and use your policy to make up kind of that gap there. So I wonder if we had the we had the uh, the correct level on our cars, but we didn't have it on our motorcycles, and they automatically <laughs> increased right. it. Because full disclosure, our motorcycles are definitely worth more than some of the the cars we own. <laughs> <laughs> Those are expensive. Prices, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what do you see is probably like, what's the most common uh, thing that people come to you with? And, you know, they don't have to come to your office, right? We were all mm -hmm. remote. You can do Zoom, all that fun stuff. What would you say is like the number one thing people do not have enough coverage for? 
home, auto, life, whatever. What's like the number one thing that you're like, oh my gosh, every freaking time I start with a new client, this is like the first thing I have to check to see if they have enough of X. Yeah, I'll touch on three things. So you mentioned home, auto, and life. I'll just touch on what I see with all of those. So um, auto insurance, since we were just talking about that, I see so often people have the bare minimum, state minimum liability coverage, which always makes me nervous. Cars are so expensive these days. Hospital bills are so expensive, and it's so easy to get into an accident. And the flip side of that is it usually doesn't cost that much more to even just go one level up of liability. I always recommend to have even more than that, but I understand that budgets are tight and things are, are tough with inflation. So I would say... Um, I see a lot of state minimum coverages. So my encouragement would be just to see what that looks like to bump that up even one level and then maybe six months down the road, work that up even a little bit higher. So there are definitely opportunities there, but that's something that I see pretty frequently. And then when I see claims payout, I see claims that, that do pay out fairly high. So it does happen and it's important to have the right coverage on the policy above the state minimums. Um, for the home yeah. insurance, one thing that I've seen recently is with inflation, the cost of labor going up, supply chain issues, it costs way more to rebuild a house now than it did even two or three years ago. So if people wrote a got a policy set up you know, a couple years back and they haven't checked it in a while and they don't have it, it built into their policy to automatically increase, they're more than likely underinsured. I was working with someone just recently who he bought his home about 20 years ago, set up home insurance and hadn't really looked at it since. When we did the calculation to what it would cost to, to be to rebuild his house in today's dollars, he was almost two hundred thousand dollars underinsured, meaning that if something like a fire happens, the insurance company would have paid out X because that's what his policy was set to. And then there would have been a gap. He would have had to come out of pocket two hundred thousand dollars to rebuild his house. Um, Let me stop you there for one second. Correct me if I'm wrong. Some of those policies used to self increase. And I'm talking maybe 20, 30 years ago, they mm -hmm. used to go with the market and increase themselves. But now it's our responsibility as the consumer to say, hey, my house has gotten more expensive to rebuild. Is that right? It depends on the company. So there are companies that will put on like an inflation protection is usually what they call it, where it's going to automatically increase. But even with that, it's still a good idea every couple of years just to make sure that the insurance has truly kept up to what it would cost to rebuild. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Where we live um, is a flood zone. We are in whatever the top flood zone is, 1A. <laughs> we are in a flood zone. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, some houses in this area were destroyed by um, hurricanes. Uh, it's not really the hurricane here that does the damage. It's the tidal flooding and mm -hmm. then the rain coming down at the same time so if it's the wrong time of the month like literally the front of our the street our street well, it's gone it's just underwater um and this is with having the drainage ditches dug along the side um constantly my neighbors are constantly on top of the city to make sure those are dug out and cleaned <laughs> out and there's mm -hmm. no debris blocking it especially in the winter that's when we get like it can get really bad um and it's interesting that um, some houses have actually been completely removed. So next door to me, there's no house. Hmm. It's just a lot. There were two houses there. And they sustained so much flood damage over time that they were unable to get private insurance. FEMA had to cover them. And then FEMA finally came in and said, we're not doing this anymore. Wow. Um, and so they wouldn't even, you know, it was year after year, it was 10,000 a year, it was 20,000 a year of claims, blah, 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 blah. I know our house had one claim, 
gosh, but wait, before we bought it, I want to say 2009, there was a hurricane here, Michael, I, I'm trying mm -hmm. to remember which one it was. And there was some sort of $10,000 claim on this house that every year we get a piece of paper from FEMA saying, this is the last time there was a claim on your house. If any of this information is wrong, you need to tell us. Um, but there's houses here that if it rains too hard and it's the wrong time of the month with the title calendar, they're getting water in their garage every single time. Our neighbor behind us lost two vehicles two years ago in their driveway. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. So what, what like, and, and flood insurance, depending on which house you're in. So those people, their flood insurance went up <laughs> clearly. Right. <laughs> they made a claim for two pretty new vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, what, is there any way to mitigate that? Uh, I know in certain areas, there's one company that does flood insurance. Florida's experiencing this right now. There's areas where you mm -hmm. can't get any insurance. So what do you do in those situations? Yeah, in those states like that where there's no private companies, they're typically going to be uh, like a government-backed company that's going to be able to come in and offer some things. Uh, in Florida, I believe it's Citizens is the company that's going to step in and offer. Um, I'm not sure if they offer flood insurance. I know they do home insurance. Um, but here in Virginia and other places, there are more private companies that are starting to step into the market to, to help underwrite that risk. And that's where it's important, just like home auto and life insurance to reshop every so often. Flood insurance is important, too, just because there are more companies that are coming in and out of the market, so more opportunities. And what's nice with flood insurance companies is if they're they're rated correctly if they're um, they're going to meet the mortgage requirements. So a lot of times people will tell me, oh, I only want FEMA because that's what's going to meet my mortgage requirements. These flood insurance companies that are private are also going to make sure that they're meeting those requirements as well. And they have documentation to prove that. So there are several companies that are sort of stepping in to fill that gap just because there is a need for that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't even realize that that was like a, a, a misconception uh, of people because Lord knows I'd rather have a private company covering me than having to work through the government for claim. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's, you know, just the, the bureaucratic red tape stereotype. I would be like, I'd much rather have a, a private company that, to beat up on than try to get anything pushed to the government. But uh, it did look like they paid out this particular claim that we get our documentation for every year. Um, mm -hmm. And so luckily, knock on wood, we haven't had anything since then. <laughs> so, <Right>. <laughs> but <laughs> but according to the Farmer's Almanac, yeah. it's supposed to be a pretty wet winter. So keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm hoping for some snow, but maybe not some, you know, no floods <laughs> yeah 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 like, like i'll do like three inches well being from new york i actually like snow it's a little weird most people leave new york because of the cold but yeah. <laughs> i actually like snow so i'll do like two three inch dustings that's good you know and then you know make sure right. there's not a ton of rain <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, one thing with the flood insurance, what a lot of people say, a lot of people will come to me asking for flood insurance, which is super important. Even if you're not in the flood zone, it's still worth considering because floods can happen just about anywhere. But what a lot of people tell me when they want flood insurance is what they really want is water backup coverage, which is different oh. than flood insurance. Water backup is an optional coverage, so it's, it's not going to be included on every home insurance policy unless the agent knows to put it on there or the customer specifically asks for it. And this is going to cover water backing up through like a sump pump. Uh, if water, you know, think walking into your basement and the sump pump failed and there's two feet of water in the basement, things like that are what water backup is going to cover. And again, it's usually not going to be automatically included unless it's it's put on by the client or the, the agent knows to put that on there. So um, that's one thing I'll say about flood insurance is flood insurance is important. But what a lot of people mean by that is water backup. And I would say 
having the conversation with the agent to get both in place if they need it and to shop that because both are important coverages to have. That is so important. Yeah, where we are, we have such a high water table. No one here has basements. Uh, but would that cover like a, a hot water heater bursting? Um, so typically that it, it depends on where it's get, where it is. So it's, this endorsement is more so going to cover like water that backs up through okay. through a drain that's supposed to cause that. Now, if it's like a pipe that breaks, usually that's going to be covered by like the dwelling section of the home insurance policy. And then if it's something that's like a mechanical breakdown, usually the water here won't be covered itself unless there's an endorsement put on to cover like mechanical breakdowns or if someone has like a home warranty. Um, Got it. But typically it's just going to be the damage that's covered, not necessarily the appliance itself. Right. But so if the water heater is in the kitchen and it either slowly starts leaking or explodes and the cabinets in the kitchen soak up all the water and now we have all the lower cabinets have to get replaced. Theoretically, the homeowner's insurance would cover the cabinets, but you may end up having to purchase a new water heater out of pocket. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Still, you know, this is why we have emergency funds, people. Like, you know, we mm -hmm. always use the water heater as it's like the ubiquitous example among financial coaches. It's like the second you walk into a house that you've just purchased, your water heater is probably breaking. Like, I don't right. know statistically <laughs> if that's a thing, but it certainly feels like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that or the other one I keep seeing is the fridge. It's like the fridge mm -hmm. was only six years old. We closed on the house and the next day the fridge was dead. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but if you're buying a house, not only do you need to have the emergency fund for that kind of stuff, we need to be able to afford the homeowner's insurance and everything that comes with it. And literally right across the street from us, our neighbors who as far as, far as they know, have never received paperwork from FEMA saying this house had a claim 15 years ago, blah, blah, blah. Their flood insurance is double ours. At, we can't explain it. We don't know why. We don't know if the lines were redrawn after because they purchased after we purchased. We have no idea why. But the moral of the story is find an expert. So if, if your flood insurance is 2400 but your neighbor across the street is 1200 maybe you have the wrong company. Or maybe mm -hmm. there's a really good reason why you have a higher flood insurance because you are at more risk. And we don't necessarily right. want to bring the policy down at that point. Yep, Exactly. Yeah, I love it. I think my favorite thing about Adam is that he is an insurance broker. And so I, I literally just had this conversation this weekend with an adult who did not know what an insurance broker was. Like, call Adam, have Adam do all the work <laughs> of looking right. for your new policy. <laughs> otherwise, like, I mean, it, it's just a no brainer, right? The consumer otherwise is going to be forced to call every insurance company that we see uh, commercials for. And we're doing all the work and we, and really this is not stuff the average person deals with on a daily basis. And so we don't know that we're ever getting apples to apples. We might be lucky if we're getting apples to oranges. And if we're not lucky, we're getting apples to jalapenos. And right. <laughs> then you really don't know which insurance company to go with because they're, it's just not the same policy. So how do you, how do people work with a broker? Yeah, so just like you said, I can shop across 15, 20 different companies. And what's really important about that is there are a lot of companies out there that are very financially stable, very strong, but just don't have the mass advertisements that you see. So working with someone like myself who can shop much, multiple companies, I have access to companies that are specific just to our region, just to our state, and financially solid, won't have any issue with claims that are being paid out. But a lot of times people haven't heard of them just because they're not doing those big national campaigns. Their way to, to sell policies is to work through independent agents, and then they pass along that savings to the customers. So 
Uh, a lot of times if I'm working with someone and I work to get them a policy, if they haven't heard of the company, I'll just send them ratings. We have uh, reviews and ratings and um, outside organizations that monitor to make sure companies are doing right by the customers. So every company that we work with is going to be an A-rated company. Uh, we've, AM Best is the standard in insurance, so they're going to be A-rated by AM Best. And essentially that means they have the financial stability to pay out claims and uh, they've been around for a while. They're gonna do right by the customers is, is basically what that means. So just because the company didn't spend $30 million on a Super Bowl ad last year, doesn't mean they're not a good company, right? <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> I love it. That's a good yeah. note to go out on, Adam. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, all of Adam's contact information is in our show notes, as always. And please reach out to him um, if you're in the mid-Atlantic states area. Even if you're not, reach out to Adam anyway, and he'll get you in touch with a colleague who can help you in your state because he is just a fountain of resources. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, just like Suzanne said, anyone, please feel free to reach out. If I'm not licensed in your state, I've got a network of people who uh, we can trust to make sure you get the right coverage without overpaying for it. So happy to chat with anyone offline if you've got some questions. Beautiful. Thanks again, Adam. Thanks. Join me again next week for another episode of Lessons Learned Podcast, the dumbest thing I've ever done with money. Make sure to subscribe to the Grace Financial Coaching YouTube channel, and please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts.